Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at adces24.org. Hello, and welcome to AADE's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm Kirsten Yale, Research Manager at AADE, and we've got a great show for you. Today we're talking to Dr. Jane Anderson, Doctor of Podiatric Medicine in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and spokesperson for the American Podiatric Medical Association. Without further ado, here is Dr. Anderson. Dr. Anderson, welcome to the huddle. Hello, thank you for having me. We are so happy to have you here, and especially because we're talking about this topic of podiatry today. Um, you know, you and I had a chance to talk a couple weeks ago, and you shared this study about stress slowing down wound healing in diabetic foot ulcers. And the interesting thing in there was the mobile applications promoting um, healing through relaxation techniques. And it just hit me, you know, what an integral part of the integrated care team the podiatrist is. Absolutely. I really feel that the podiatrist is someone who sometimes actually can be a primary care provider in some instances, but really is a, an important member of the team in managing someone with diabetes. Because if they lose a leg to diabetes because they develop an ulcer that becomes infected, that affects their long-term survival rate. It affects their cardiac status. It affects everything. So it's really important that we are involved on a regular basis for most people with diabetes. So it's not just about the foot. I know you're passionate about diabetes. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about your background and what got you interested in this. Well, so I, I'm a podiatrist or a doctor of podiatric medicine. And I always like to say what that means because not everyone understands what a podiatrist is or how we're trained or what we do. Um, we are, podiatrists are trained at four-year medical schools that are specific to podiatric medicine and surgery. So as an undergraduate, I essentially took all the same pre-med requirements that it would take to go to any medical school. You take the, you know, the screening and the test and, and all of those uh, classes that are important. And then you apply to one of the podiatric medical schools in the country. And there are only nine schools in the country that you can go to to become a podiatrist. And it's a four-year program that is very similar to sort of allopathic medical schools in the sense that, you know, you take all the gross anatomy, your whole body, and you take the histology and the biochemistry and the pathology and all of those subjects that you would take at any medical school. But we also spend more time talking about, you know, the anatomy of the foot and ankle and the lower extremity. We talk about um, biomechanics, what, how your foot moves when it hits the ground, um, foot surgery, uh, you know, podiatric medicine and other things that you may not, you would not cover in, in general medical school. And then once you finish that four-year program, you do a residency, which is currently a three-year residency. 
And in that residency program, most people learn how to do surgery. They learn how to take care of people with diabetes. They learn how to um, treat the general population. Um, and then at, when you finish that, some people actually do fellowships. And some of those are very specific towards diabetes. And some are specific to trauma or sports medicine. So you can really specialize within our profession. But all of us are trained to recognize the issues with patients with diabetes. So since you're all trained in this area, um, why is it so important for all of you to be trained in diabetes care? Oftentimes, as a podiatrist, we can be the first person to actually diagnose diabetes. And that is kind of a scary thought. So sometimes a person will come in and say, I have a sore spot on the bottom of my foot. And I'll look at them and say, have you been told you have diabetes? And they say, no, I don't have diabetes. But then you really ask and they haven't been to the doctor in two years. So you're in a situation where while you might have diabetes and you might be in a situation where this is affecting uh, their ability to heal and therefore they develop a sore on the bottom of their foot. And we need to not only treat that problem, but get them in the healthcare system as a patient with diabetes and get them treated appropriately. Yeah. And, and so how often, I mean, I guess maybe it's, is it different for everybody? Um, how often should a person with diabetes see a podiatrist? Well, it's really interesting because it depends on the patient and what their uh, comorbidities are and also how, um, you know, are they a high risk or a low risk patient? And so I think every patient when they're diagnosed with diabetes should be seen by a podiatrist. And that is the, the way you get screened. And, you know, every time someone walks in our door that has diabetes or even without diabetes, the first thing we look at, you know, we take a thorough history and physical history and, and um, you know, review systems and things like that. And then on our physical exam, we're looking at the first thing, do they have pulses in their feet? How, what is their vascular status like? Because if they don't have good pulses in their feet, then they are a very high risk because they might not be able to heal a wound if it happened or any sort of incident. If they step on something, it might be a bigger issue than, than otherwise. The next system we look at is their neurologic status. And as we all know, many patients with diabetes actually have numb feet, which is what we call neuropathy. And those people who have neuropathy, especially profound neuropathy with a loss of protective sensation, those people are at very high risk because they can't feel it if something rubs against their toes or the bottom of their foot, or they can't feel a callus that might be building up. We also look at musculoskeletal deformities as well as the skin. What does it look like? Do they have a callus? Do they have a corn? Those are areas of pressure that might break down. So when these people are seen in our office, we can put them into a risk category. So if I have a newly diagnosed patient who's you know fairly healthy otherwise, and they have strong pulses and they can feel everything, then they might be in the low risk category. And, and I might say, come back in a year and see me then. Um, there, if someone has poor circulation, meaning not, um, not the nerves, but if the blood vessels aren't providing adequate blood supply to the feet, then those people need to be seen on a minimum about every two and two to three months. 
And the people who have neuropathy, which is, you know, when they can't feel anything, those people, it depends. Do they have any vascular disease? Do they have musculoskeletal deformities where their toes are rubbing up against their shoes? Those people need to be seen probably over two or three months as well. Um, we, you know, we like to keep close tabs on everyone who has any risk factors, but they've done studies that have shown that if a patient with diabetes actually sees a podiatrist on a regular basis, they're significantly less likely to end up with an amputation. It's interesting to hear you talk about complications and risk factors, because I know this is something that's such a challenge um, for people with diabetes every day. Now, I know that there's a number of podiatrists that are diabetes care and education specialists, and then some that are not. Um, I'm wondering, how does a podiatrist work with the rest of the care team? Oftentimes, it depends on the situation that particular practitioner is in. What I would love as a podiatrist is I would love if our diabetes care and education specialist would send the new people over immediately. And anyone who had an urgent issue, I would be available. So when these people evaluate, if they look at someone's foot and, you know, this newly diagnosed person with diabetes, if they say, wow, you look at them, they have a red spot on their foot. I'm going to call my friend down the street, the podiatrist, and make sure that they are seen immediately. There are many people in our profession that are hospital-based employees, and those people are called to the emergency room often or are called, you know, to see an, a patient with an infection in their foot. They are rounding on those patients in the hospital. They are doing surgeries on them to you know, remove any infection or debride any wounds that need to be debrided. So there are some people that are more heavily involved than others. I really feel like it, it depends on the part of the country you live in, um, and it depends on the training of the podiatrist and how active they are with their hospital staff. So another thing that I know we do as diabetes care and education specialists is try to guide people through the whole insurance maze. As a podiatrist, do you help your people with diabetes kind of make their way through that maze? There is such a maze and it is very frustrating because it's not a cut and dried thing for most insurances. So if you look at the typical patient with diabetes who might have, say, Medicare and a secondary insurance, most of the time they'll cover a regular visit. Usually they'll cover the first visit without a, without a problem. But as far as follow-up visits for preventative care, meaning we're going to cut your toenails, we're going to trim your calluses and corns so that those parts of your feet don't break down. Those visits, if a patient has impaired vascular status, those, those are covered by Medicare. Um, if they don't have impaired vascular status, it, it gets a little trickier. Sometimes if they have numbness, they're covered. Sometimes um, if they have a secondary insurance, the secondary insurance will pay for it even if they don't have the numbness. And other times lately, in our community at least, we've had a lot of Medicare PPO plans where people walk in with a, with a copay on their chart. And those people generally are, you know, more often palliative, routine foot care is a covered benefit for most of those people. Fantastic. It is a maze, and I know it's always difficult. So it's, it's great to hear that the podiatrist and is looking into that. You know, one of the things, one of the reasons we asked you to come on the show was really to talk about 
call to action for diabetes care and education specialists. But before we get there, um, you know, when we when we've talked, you've shared stories that have just been eye opening to me. Like, you know, the patient who had neuropathy several years ago called your office because he had a red foot. Can you talk a little bit about that one? And then maybe the call to action for the DCES? So this patient that he was a longtime patient of mine and he had a red foot. And the first thing that he did was call his primary care doctor. And the primary care doctor thought he had gout and put him on prednisone, which is a great treatment for gout, but a terrible treatment for an infection. And as it turns out, he had a huge infection in his foot. And after about three or four days, he wasn't getting better and he called the office, and we immediately sent him to the emergency room, and he ended up losing his leg. And that was a really upsetting experience for all of us, because our goal as podiatrists is to prevent that from happening. And oftentimes, we do prevent that from happening with the work that we do on a regular basis. And I had been, he had been my patient at that point for probably 15 years, and we had been through many things together. Um, and it was just devastating for him and for me, for him to lose his leg because of essentially a situation where it may not have been able to be saved because the infection was pretty bad when he went in to start with. But it would have been nice if he got sent to the hospital three days before, as opposed to when we saw him. That was pretty upsetting. Um, you know, I had another patient that I think about a lot that he was, you know, he he's his blood sugars were not well managed. He thought they were, and he would always say, oh yeah, my sugars are 150. And uh, one day he came in with an infection and, and it was really deep. It went down to bone. There was frank pus coming out. So therefore it was really a bad infection. And he needed to go, he needed to go immediately to the operating room. And I said to him, I said, okay, when was the last time you ate? go to the operating room, you know, I'll meet you there uh, right after my patients are done. And we're going to amputate your toe and part of your fifth metatarsal, which is the bone on the side of your foot. And he said, okay, okay, I'll go. And he got there and the hospital just didn't call me. They, I, I, I can't explain. I kept thinking, why haven't they called? So I called the operating room and they said, oh, your patient stopped for Chick-fil-A and a sweet tea on the way to the operating room. So we have to delay it until about midnight, which was, you know, very inconvenient for all of us, but that's just, that's just how it played out. When he was admitted to the hospital after the surgery, his A1C was 14.75, which is way off the charts for someone who has 150 blood sugar. So it was really not accurate in terms of his blood sugar assessment. But when you have an infection, obviously your A1C can be quite elevated. Um, he, he healed after a few months and then he went away for a while. And when he came back, he had lost about 50 pounds. And I, and I said to him, hey, Mr. Jones, we'll call him, um, you lost 50 pounds. What's going on? And he said, well... I'm exercising now. I only eat lean meats. Um, I eat vegetables. When I do eat grains, I eat whole grains. I eat, you know, nothing that's unhealthy anymore. And I am doing really well. And I feel really good. And I said, wow, you know, I've known you for a long time. What prompted you to do this? And he looked at me and said, 
you cut off my toe. So it was an eye-opening experience for him to have that happen because I'd been working with him long enough that I'd been keeping things under control. And then when they got out of control, he didn't like how that felt. So I feel like if people know ahead of time, oh my gosh, you cannot be in that situation. You can prevent that from happening. And that's really powerful. Yeah. I mean, those are heartbreaking stories, but if we learn from those stories and implement things into practice to protect people with diabetes or, and I, and I love your pointing out that Mr. Jones learned from his amputation and made some big changes in life. There was one more. Um, It was about the woman who stepped on the insulin needle and that one was fast. I couldn't believe how could somebody step on a needle and not feel it? Well, so when you have neuropathy, so neuropathy, the big umbrella of neuropathy is burning, tingling, or numbness in your, usually your feet, peripheral neuropathy. Sometimes it happens in your hands, but more often than not, it's your feet. And within that umbrella of neuropathy, there's a small subset, or not a small subset, a moderate subset of people that have lost their protective sensation. So we test that by that little fishing wire thing that we have in the office that looks like a little piece of fishing wire. And it's called the Sems-Weinstein 5.07 monofilament. And that is calibrated very specifically to test protective sensation. So if you actually can touch the patient's foot on the bottom in certain areas, and they cannot feel that monofilament, then what happens is that's an area where they have lost their protective sensation. So that person is at risk. If the shoe is too tight, it could rub a hole in the side of their toe. If they step on something, they might not be able to feel it. Uh, There are multiple things. So you really have to get in this mindset of, oh my gosh, I can't feel anything. I have to inspect with my eyes and with my hands. So this particular patient, she was you know, a patient with diabetes is probably in her 60s. And she had some she had some pretty significant neuropathy and loss of protective sensation. And she came in one day and she had a lump on her arch. And she said, Oh, I have a little tumor. And I said, Oh, really? That's interesting. And I and I felt it and it felt pretty hard. And, and I thought, Okay, well, I said, let's take an x-ray. And we took an x-ray and it was a piece of an insulin needle that was in the bottom of her foot. She had stepped on it and was totally unaware. So that person got a trip to the operating room where we fished out the insulin needle. So, I mean, and it brings up a good point of how that can happen, but also how to prevent that. And one of those things is when you are walking around your house as a person with diabetes, you should not be walking barefoot. You should not be wearing socks. You can wear socks and shoes, or you can wear shoes, but you should not be walking in stocking feet or barefoot because people step on things all the time. And I could give you a list of the things that I've taken out of the bottoms of people's feet in the operating room, but generally speaking, they involve things like splinters and rose thorns and needles and toothpicks. So if you kind of put yourself in that mindset, you may not even know it happens if you have profound neuropathy. And and really, the only way to check for profound neuropathy is by going to a podiatrist. Is that correct? Yes. You know, a lot of primary care providers in my community actually check for that as well. Uh, They do that Sims-Weinstein monofilament, and uh, certainly the endocrinologists do that as well. But the endocrinologist probably isn't going to trim your callus so that that area doesn't break down. So if you or I have a callus, if, you know, we have 
I have sensate feet. I can feel everything. I, you know, they're sore all the time. But if I have a callus, I say, ow, I have a callus. I, and I shift my weight subconsciously or I wear a different shoe or I trim down the callus. But if you were a patient with profound neuropathy, you wouldn't know that. And so the pressure from the callus just keeps pressing on the skin and the skin becomes a little bit avascular and then it breaks down. So when people come to me and they have a callus on the bottom of their foot, I'll debride it so that it doesn't break down. But when they come to me and the callus is already purple underneath, that means that there's some bleeding underneath that skin. And oftentimes when I trim it down, there's an open sore underneath. So our job is always to prevent that from happening. But you know, once it does happen, that's how we have to, you know, we have to treat the, the ulceration then. And that's one of the big goals for us is to prevent the ulcerations. Yeah. So a big warning sign would be the reddish purple colored callus. So people should keep that in mind, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So this, I have to tell you, Dr. Anderson has been a fantastic discussion. I think I've learned more in 20 minutes than I ever expected to know. Um, and, and, it, and it's been great. I guess I, if, if we can, in the last couple minutes here, um, I'm going to go back to that integrated care team. And I'd love to hear your key takeaways for um, diabetes care and education specialists and what the integrated care team can do to support foot health in people with diabetes. I think the big things are is that diabetes care and education specialists should establish a good relationship with the podiatrist. And so that if they see something that's urgent, like redness, swelling, or warmth, like an infection, then they can call and say, hey, can you squeeze this person in right away? Um, but, and, you know, having that relationship and that give and take is really important. I make my patients responsible for all of their, you know, we work as a unit in terms of, you know, their primary care doctor might send them to me and I work with them in terms of, okay, can I keep this patient out of trouble or do they need something surgically addressed so that they can stay out of trouble? But I also say, well, I'm not going to do any elective surgery on a patient that has an A1C over eight. So that's, that's kind of my cutoff for that. Some, obviously, if you have an urgent problem or infection, that can happen. Um, but we all work together in the sense of, you know, we also uh, work with it's really important that these patients have appropriate shoe gear. And we haven't touched on that yet, but patients with diabetes need oftentimes need diabetic shoes if they have the musculoskeletal deformities that would require that. So if they have hammer toes and corns and calluses that are a result of those, or if they've ever had an open sore, those people would benefit from an extra diabetic shoe. And oftentimes they'll all involve maybe a podiatrist. Some podiatrists may sell those shoes themselves, but usually, in my case, I usually involve a podiatrist. Um, so I think that it is kind of a, 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 big, a big group of people. If I do have to take a patient with diabetes to surgery, I'm always involving their primary care doctor and sometimes their endocrinologist just to make sure they're tuned up in the way that they need to be unless it's an emergency. Fantastic. As we think about closing up here, I know that um, November is Diabetes Awareness Month. 
and the American Podiatric Medical Association is doing a campaign around neuropathy. Yes, so the um, American Podiatric Medical Association, or APMA.org, is their website. They have every November, we have Diabetes Awareness Month. Uh, we go along with that, and we have our own campaign, and this is in regard to neuropathy. And we would like to sort of educate people a little bit more about neuropathy. There's a lot of good information on our website. And it's really important that people understand, like I tell people, you know, you may not have a lot of neuropathy right now, but if you develop that loss of protective sensation, it's going to happen gradually and you may not know it. So no one's going to send you an email and say, hey, you're loss of protective sensation. You have loss of protective sensation now. It's going to sneak up on you. So it's really important with neuropathy or with any patient who has diabetes is to check your feet on a daily basis. That means visualize them with a mirror. With, on, you know, they sell mirrors on sticks at medical supply stores or go off to the store and buy yourself a $5 selfie stick, take a picture of the bottom of your foot, look at it every day, make sure there's no red spots, sore spots, open lesions, anything along those lines that might cause a problem. And if you see them, see your podiatrist right away. If you have a red swollen area on your foot, that's an emergency. That's not something you should ignore. If you have a streak of red coming up your leg, that is an emergency room emergency. You, you head off to the emergency room at that point. But it really is, with neuropathy, it's one of those things you may not understand how profound your neuropathy is until you actually get it evaluated. And, you know, sometimes people, their neuropathy will worsen if their sugar is either too high or too low. So it's really important to kind of keep that A1C where your doctor would like you to. There are many ranges that people that I hear from people, and depending on their age and their cardiac status, how high they want those A1Cs, I don't get involved other than I want to know where they're, where they're residing at this point. Um, I do often talk to people as well about the long-term, you know, the, just to briefly mention people with prediabetes, and I always have a heart-to-heart -heart with them, and I say, you know, you have prediabetes. If you change your diet and exercise and, and go along this, the, this path of improving your health right now, you may never get to the point where you have diabetes. And if I gave that opportunity retroactively to all of my patients that have diabetes, they would jump on it in a second. So I really encourage people to, you know, think about that when they're in that situation. Well, and I really appreciate you bringing up pre-diabetes, um, you know, it's that, that's a place where we really can make a difference. Uh, and it, it's, it's, it's just phenomenal to hear you talk about that. Thank you so much. I mean, I think this will really have an impact um, on diabetes care and education specialists, people with diabetes. We're going to share this and people are going to learn. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. Today we learned it's important to talk to people with diabetes about foot care. Refer individuals diagnosed with diabetes for an initial consultation with a podiatrist. If you have an established relationship with a podiatrist, when you see warning signs, you can help facilitate appointments for people with diabetes. Remember, for people with poor circulation, they should see a podiatrist every two to three months. And finally, check the foot at appointments for any signs of possible infection or issues. Look for corns, calluses, ingrown nails, localized swelling, and open sores. To learn more about the American Podiatric Medical Association and access diabetes and neuropathy resources, 
visit apma.org forward slash diabetes. To access resources and notes from today's discussion, visit diabeteseducator.org forward slash podcast. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.